Welcome to part two of the Fiduciary U podcast with Chad Johansson from Plan Design Consultants. We covered a lot of great information in part one, so make sure you check that out. I hope you enjoy part two where we discuss how advisors can win big in the small retirement plan market. You know, it's interesting. So, you know, I about a month ago launched, um, I, I won a ton of business around fees. Like that was my calling card, like cost optimization for plans. And I had a whole way of visualizing it where, and um, that was just very, 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 very different. And I've built basically the things I used to do in Excel and PowerPoint and Word that would take me a bunch of time is now this what's called FRX within Fiduciary RX. And, and advisors are like losing their mind over It's very yeah. cool the way it visualizes the conversation around fees. But there's one total cost projection module where you can like put in current proposed, you can assign growth rates. It does like 10 year projections of cost. It's very slick, but on the report, it's got like the assumptions and then it itemizes record keeping and admin fund and advisory expenses in percentages, current versus proposed. But I tell everybody the second, the page behind that, it actually breaks it out in dollars. Nobody knows when you say, Hey, we think we can save you 20 basis points, what that means. But if you say, we think we can save you 50 grand, um, Yeah, numbers are visceral. Talk about dollars. It quantifies it in a way that percentages or basis points. Like nobody knows what the heck a basis point. Heck, it took me when I got into the business (laughs) a month to figure out what a basis point actually was. Um, I don't know what that is. So I love what you're saying around. You put it, it people can understand dollars, and even what you're talking about, like those dollars. Those dollars can get big. And then think about like, if you really want to take a next level, hey, what's that $18,000 compounded at six or 7% over the next 15 years or 20 years or 30 years? Yeah. And even outside of the growth, that 18,000 in year one on a million dollar plan is now 22,000 in year two on a $1.3 million plan. And then that continues to go up as well. That's It's a good point. And that spread now we flipped from tax efficiency to cost. I always tell people those two things tie really well together. Um, Same with rate of return, in my opinion, it needs to be tied into that conversation as well. Now, the industry is really levelized, right? Back in the day when we wanted to set up an institutional lineup with an advisor, there were only a handful of, of products that we could go out and get true institutional level investing or open architecture. Now, I mean, some of the other groups that are doing great in that micro, Hancock has it, Trans has it. You know, most of these groups have true institutionalized investing at a, you know, a Z share and institutional and admiral share type of share class. Right. Right. And that's what we typically see, right, is that you, you get these innovations, large market, and then they it takes time, but they kind of roll down. Yeah, you're, you're, you're near a coaster. I always say now that I live in the center of the country, whatever happens in California or New York or DC, or it takes a while to get into here. I see it happening on the outsides. I'm like, all right, it'll be here yeah. soon. People care about this soon, but it, uh, it takes a while. And the same thing in the small space, what happens up market tends to dribble down. To your point earlier though, I don't think litigation is going that way. I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, but I think... You know, the key, this is, I mean, I've, you've seen me post it on LinkedIn. Like I, I got in the habit early on to read every um, complaint that was filed. They're like 80 pages long. 
a lot of them are kind of look the same, but you can learn while litigation can't, I don't think is rolling down, you know, um, yeah. the lessons you can learn from what those plans should be doing or are doing or not doing, you can actually bring those down. Like you can have lessons learned from litigation with a $5 million client. Hey, here's what's happening. Here's what the best run plans or the worst run plans are doing or not doing. Let's take the learnings and we're going to implement those best practices for your plan. That was part of my pitch down market was we're going to bring in a large, a mid to large market institutional consulting philosophy, and we're going to give you access to that at a plan of your size. So, so don't ignore, if you're in the small market, don't ignore what's happening up market that can get into your talk track to learn, to educate to your point earlier, which is a great one. An educated client by far is the best client. It's going to build trust between you. A lot of times, like the education, it's not just one time. A lot of advisors, I think they're like, oh, I talked about that one time. Like a lot of times you have to go back and remind over and over and over again, um, you know, to make the stickiness increase. What are some of the in selling in that market? I mean, even today, 401k plans are not bought. They are sold. Like, yeah. And I don't mean that negatively, but it's it's you you have whether it's up market or down market, you have unsophisticated buyers. They don't know what they don't know. You know, maybe they download an RFP off of, you know, the internet and then maybe they ask the right questions, but they don't know how to interpret the answers appropriately and that education piece is so important. What are some of like maybe your best ideas in terms of uh selling into that market, analogies you use, stories. Yeah. How do you make uh, the complex simple? I love that question. And it's something you've heard from time to time me ask on Retire Hall. When I have brains like you or Nevin or, or Fred Reich or you name them sitting with us, that's what I always want to know. How, how do you explain these topics that have made you successful when others have failed to do so? And so I think as an industry, we should do more of this type of sharing. Um, I tend to break it down in two ways. And we've done this for years. The first is I try to change commonly used terms. I mentioned earlier, instead of compensation, I use pay. I I asked JD's daughter, who I think is 26, um, if she knew what that term meant. She's like, I have no clue. What's my compensation? I don't don't know. I'm like, well, what do you get paid? Oh, okay, this is what I get paid. And the truth is so many businesses don't know that either. Another one, ADP test. It stands for actual deferral percentage test. Just change the damn word from actual to average. It is an average, right? We're looking at an average of people's deferrals. So I use average in that scenario. I I interchangeably use words. And every year we sit down as a sales team and we go through our most commonly used words and our most commonly used topics and we come up with new analogies for them. If something's really working, like right now we've been stuck on our home builder analogy. Um, we used to use a sports analogy with this, but when someone asks us to tell tell them what we do, I've got an advisor sitting here, maybe there's a record, what do we do? I always put them in a good frame of mind. Imagine you're building your dream home and you're excited about this. One of the first people you tend to engage with is a general contractor. That is not the person putting up the drywall or the plumbing in the wall or laying your foundation. 
But that is the person that knows all of those independent contracts, all of those groups to come in, the right people that are going to do a good job for you. They are your advocates, that contractor is. Well, that's your advisor in the 401k space. The next person you tend to meet with if you're building your home is an architect, someone that sees your vision. Do you have kids? Do you not? Do you like to entertain? Do you want a kegerator out back? Do you like to swim? What kind of pool setup? Do you like to cook? Do we need a, a you know, restaurant style stovetop? That is the TPA. My job is to understand the vision and design the home to meet the lifestyle that they're going to live. Design the 401k plans to meet their objectives and get them as much flexibility as possible moving forward as they go through the different stages of their life. Now, they might have kids now, but those kids aren't going to live there in 25 years. So we need to make sure that that home, that plan is constructed in a way that gives flexibility. And then the third part of that analogy is, is the record keeper. If I build this home, the home needs to be livable. You need to have TV on the wall. You need to have silverware in the drawers and, and cups in the cabinets and sheets on the bed. That's what our record keepers do. They're the interface that connects the operations of the plan and the money to you and your individual employees. They make the plan operable. And so that kind of analogy, we that started off as a sports analogy. We used to do the team doctor, the NFL, and the coach. Um, we sit down every year. We look through those types of conversations, and we come up with better examples. My other favorite one that I've started using, businesses, when they go to add a company contribution, they always struggle with the fact that they are legally required to give something to the employees. The thought is, as a business owner, we're doing really well. You mean my cap when I research on Google says fifty-seven thousand, so you know I can just put some money. It's sixty-one. I can just put money in my own account, right? Well, well, no, you can't. And the example I use is, you're you're on a teeter totter, right? And right now, when we put a bunch of money in your account, it sits like this. The IRS doesn't say that you have to sit level, or you don't have to give so much to your employees that we tilt the other way. What it says is we've got to give enough away from you and to the employees that it lifts you off the ground. You can't have the employee base be on the ground when you're teeter-tottering up nice and high. And so what do we need to do? Instead of giving money to the IRS, we carve out a way to give some money to your hardworking employees. And my goal is to design a plan where you give less to the employees than what you would have given to the IRS. And in the micro space, they love that thought. You mean I get to reward my employees with a great match or great non-elective contribution. I get to give them money and I can do so in a way that doesn't cost me anything because I'm saving more in taxes. The, taking the complicated and making it simple is really what helps the small market plan win. Be sold to your term earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to call it give to get. That's how these plans are set up. You got to give to get. And it's fun, so funny, the teeter-totter. I was going to mention, you beat me to it. Jim Sampson from Hilb. That's the analogy he uses, right? As he's like, you know, you got the big kids on one side, you got the little kids on huh. the other side. You got to make sure that like both both kids get a chance. You know, when he was talking about discrimination yeah. testing, like nobody, you know, um, ACP, right? It's just about, you know, you got to make sure it's fun for the big kids and the little kids on the teeter-totter. So similar to the way that, that you know, that you're describing it. Um. What uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing out in the yeah, market? Yeah, I think specifically right in the micro space, the number one issue that exists is the payroll companies are holding on to everything as tightly as they possibly can. We talked earlier about operational errors. Most of those come from the way we're handling the contribution process in a plan. 
calculating the match, calculating the deferral, changes in deferral not being implemented in time. All of that comes from the holy grail, right? It comes from the payroll and your ADP, your paychecks, and there's a few others that are out there that also offer 401k solutions. They don't want to play with the record, the 401k record keepers. They don't want to share that data cleanly. And so the biggest issue, because they have the majority of the market on the payroll, but they don't have the majority of the market in the retirement plan space, although they have a fair share, they will not send over data feeds to the likes of your Hancocks and your T rows and your, your principals. And, um, and so that's an issue, right? When I go in and consult with a client, having that conversation of you're, you're failing to run your plan accurately. And it's because people are processing payroll changes and that's not getting uploaded to the record keeper or someone, someone went ahead and requested a loan and that information didn't get into payroll because they requested it through the record keeper. All of these things exist and, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. There should be some sort of, of forced relationship between the client's payroll data and that technology and what can be shared with the investment provider. Now, there are a couple of companies that are doing that. There's a couple of good ones out there that create an intermediary that simply log into payroll, validate accuracy of all that information, upload it on the client's behalf because our paychecks, ADPs, and some others won't share the information. But that still leaves some, some room for error when you have uh, no direct feed of that data. That's the biggest issue in the micro space. And, and actually, you know, who's, who's, you know, then you get payroll who's pointing the finger at record keep the record keeper and the record keeper is pointing the finger at payroll. But the reality is it's the, in the eyes of the law. It's the client who gets the, you know, you know, they're, they're the ones who, um, you know, it's kind of like the litigation environment right now, right? You're starting to see record keepers get named and, you're starting to see advisors kind of come up in complaints. There's a little bit of litigation, but that, like the end of the day, the plan sponsor is the one that's like in the crosshairs. Um, what do you think is going to, you know, so, so it's basically the client who's getting screwed. The plan sponsor is getting screwed and all of this. If they're, if they're vendors they're working with won't play nice in the sandbox with each other. It's yeah. the client who's getting the shaft, you know? Um, and so what do you think it's going to take to force, these companies to start to be better partners and not just, you know, blame one another and point the finger at one another and leave the client in the claw. You know, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, just as a whole in the micro space, we continue to build technology that's good for the industry and not technology that's necessarily good for the client. That's my personal opinion. And I think the same thing exists in this relationship, right? The, the payroll companies are trying to build a business, and I get it. I'm a business owner. I said they're building a business that is good for them. We want to retain the relationship. We want to do the group health. We want to do the 401k. We want to do the payroll. And so they don't want loose ends, but that to your, is not in the best interest of the client. So what is it going to take? It's going to take us as an industry putting a, a, a foot down, and it's going to take clients saying, I'm not doing business with you unless you create an open API unless you allow access for, for my 401k provider. And I know we can't do it with every small market payroll and every small market 401k provider, but the big names, your ADP and paychecks, if they would communicate with your fidelities, your empowers, your principals, your, your nationwides and Hancocks and Voyas, like if they would communicate with the big players, that would solve probably 85% of the relationship issues that exist there. Now, 
the truth too, this has been a while since I got this stat, so forgive me if it's outdated. I saw average client retention for a 401k space provider is around eight years. Average 401k client retention for ADP paychecks was around 18 months. And that's because they can be good at payroll pro providing, but they're not necessarily good 401k providers. And now that client wants to get out. They want to move their 401k over. So that, so that, so that, that 18 months, what you're saying is where they're also doing the 401k because payroll, I mean, at the end of the day, payroll yeah. is what drives bit that I, when, when people are not, they are less inclined. It's kind of like your banking relationship, right? Like why do banks, and they want you using more services and like you got your automatic, you know, you got your direct deposit set up. You may have your bill pay set up. The pain to leave your bank, like the, the, the switching costs. Yeah. Like you got to be in massive pain in order to, because the he headache and the hassle and I got to like, it's got to be really, really, they know they got Absolutely. You. And I think that's the same with payroll. Like a payroll conversion is a nightmare. Um, and so they're kind of in this position where they're taking and they could be taking advantage of the fact that they know they kind of got, you know, they got smart business on their end. Let's, let's acknowledge that. Right. Right. Who are some of the, the, the payroll companies that you're seeing? Are there, they're smaller, um, more nimble, more maybe tech focused payroll companies that are out there that are exploiting kind of that dissatisfaction. Yeah. So the, payroll only payroll um, and HRS type services are the groups that we tend to partner most with. Um, your Paylocity has been doing a great job. Ceridian, a few of those. There's also a lot of regional groups. Um, there's an AccuCheck and, and some others that are doing a really good job in that space. And then you have your, your true outsource HRs, your Gustos and others that I think are doing a really good job disrupting that the conversation that we're having right here saying, Hey, it's not our data. It's yours. We'll create as long as it's a secured safe from a, from a tech standpoint, a group that we can work with and we're comfortable. We'll create links with all of them. It's an open API. We'll write code to communicate out. And so some of those, especially Paylocity has been really open to establishing those relationships and building out. You know what I've learned Josh too, in lifting up that hood Many of those payroll companies aren't using their own tech. They're using timestamp systems provided by a Kronos or some of the other large uh, payroll software companies. Exactly. And, like and so if I learned this specifically through a couple of payroll mm -hmm. integration teams we've built out with Voya, where Voya came and said, hey, I get it. You don't have a 360 with us but you're using Kronos for all your timestamp systems. It's their data. We've already built one with them so we can backdoor it. We don't have to, we don't have to spend a big, a big build on creating this relationship. And so advisors need to, to look under the hood a little bit and don't just go with what the salesperson's telling you, find out what that system's operating on. Cause often that relationship is already built with the major record keepers. Wow. That, that's super interesting. Um, as we wrap up here, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit, um, and I've heard you guys on the show before. Um, what do you see advisors in the micro market? Um, how are they deploying tech? Um, are they doing that? Are they just relying on record keepers or on you guys? And they're really more just the face kind of showing up. Like what, what, 
what are you seeing in the um, in kind of that yeah. micro space with advisors there, both appetite and aptitude around leveraging tech to help? Let me silo it real quick service. into three spots. You've got your your RIA community that has backing, like call it an LPL that has backing from their tech and and those folks, even if they're not 401k focused, are using some of that uh, backend technology to support clients. You have your broker dealer groups, your Morgan, your Merrills, your UBS is there leveraging some of their technology, um, much lesser scale than the independents. And then you have, I'll call your insurance groups. And we do a lot with those groups that don't have any technology built around the 401k. And they're solely using the record keeping tools that are provided. So those three silos, I would say as a whole, they're all embracing the record keeping tools, which is why most of the, the, the families that I mentioned, the Morgans, the Merrills, they limit the record keepers that their advisors can work with because they know not only do they have a, they don't have a selling relationship at all. They though advisors need that tech to properly service the client. Now, why? Why do I think they're only willing to use the record-keeping side of thing, things? Because they haven't found a way to make the microspace profitable. If it was profitable, they would be willing to spend money for something like a fiduciary RX or some of the other tools that are out there for employee engagement. Um, they don't want to spend that money because they don't have a big enough book and they can't be profitable in that space. It doesn't justify this. The investment doesn't justify. Right. And where I spend my time, and this is why I've been such a big believer in the work that you've been doing, is I tell these these folks that have 10 plans or 15 plans, don't think of about it as an expense. Think about the amount of time you're going to save, the amount of effort that you're going to save by utilizing these tools. And that frees you up to go get another private wealth client or to go get another group health client if 401k isn't the focal point. So you already have 10 or 15 groups. You got to service those groups. Yeah. That 10 or 15 with HR turnover, that, you, that could be 15 or 20 pretty quickly. Now that you have 15 or 20, you're on the, 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 the accounts of the TPAs, the record keepers, they're going to start bringing you in to an opportunity once in a while. Now 15 or 20 is now 25 or 30. Once you get over that 10 plan threshold, it tends to grow pretty quick. And that's where I tell advisors, you need to have a little expense in the tech that you're using and it will pay off just in time saved, let alone the new opportunities you'll bring on. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. You mentioned the private wealth. There's a lot of great fintech in the private wealth space, and a lot of private wealth RIAs have. It, it's funny they private wealth tends to view technology as an investment. Huh. Retirement plan advisors tend to view technology as an expense, and. Um, I, you know, obviously I have a biased opinion in this, but I do think retirement plan advisors need to start thinking about make tech your next hire, right? Retirement plan advisors, because there's not, you know, there's, there's, there's some good tools that are out there, not just fiduciary X, but, but, you know, you've got the, the FI 360s mm -hmm. and the RPACs and the plan tools and the fiduciary decisions. Those are tools. Like you, you need to have tools in your toolbox, right? If you're going to be a carpenter, like, you know, you, you, you know, you, you need to come out of the stone age. Um, but you need to view it as an investment and so many retirement plan advisors, either they leverage, you know, like a record keepers. Well, guess what? You don't have any brand, uh, strength if you're leveraging that. But the other thing is doing all these things manually. And I, I think advisors need to really understand the Absolutely. value of their time. Sometimes advisors, 
you know, they'll, they'll, they'll spend a dollar to save a nickel. And like, to your point, how do you be smart about your tech stack? I'm not, I'm not just talking about what I've built, but, but across the board and use it as an investment. And in some cases, you may be able to make tech your next hire, which is going to be a heck of a lot less expensive than going, number one, finding somebody in this environment, two, what you got to pay them, three, the time you have to take. And then the if they turn them, over, you know, yeah, also uh, true. And don't, I when I meet these advisors that have 10 or 15 plans and they're spread out amongst eight record keepers, and I will admit fault, JD will tell you, when I first came on board, we were doing the majority of our business with about five or six record keepers. And I'm like, why? I'm going to go out there and sell with everybody and anybody. Any, if I think it fits a record keeper, I'm going to take it. Next thing I know. Hard to make it efficient and scalable yeah. when you've got a ton of record keeping relationships. All, and you can take that from the large market. All these large teams, what are they doing? Like, they'll work, you know, they may have 18 or 20 record keepers they've got business with, but 80% yeah. is going to be with the five or six relationships because you get dedicated resources. You get a de dedicated client experience. Yep. You get efficiencies. It, you can't scale when you've got. And I get it. In the micro space, many of those advisors are going. I just need to get the plan done and, and move on to the other line of servicing I'm trying to help them with. And I'm like, I understand what you're trying to say, but we need to talk about your service model, your ability to help this client. And on the back end, if you're trying to run a fiduciary review for ten plans a year from now or two years from now. And you've got eight different record keeper tools that you're using and different call centers that you're trying to get a poll of that annual contract review and your information from the testing over here. You are going to sink your ship very quickly. No wonder you can't be profitable in that space. Like spend some time. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, well, and the other thing too is it's hard to deliver a, a, a consistent very true. experience. Yeah. Great point. That's the key. You want to be horrible deliver a consistent client experience. So I can't believe like, you know, as, as we kind of wrap up and see, this has gone by and I could talk to you for two or three more hours. Um, as we wrap up and, and, you know, obviously I feel like just about everybody in the industry knows you knows, you know, retire holics, um, probably knows retire holics sometimes may know that actually plan design, you know, consultants is the, the, the you know, is the straw that stirs the drink there. But what's your biggest piece of advice for advisors doing this for so long, being successful, what you've seen, if you could, if you could give your single best piece of advice for the current market environment and what you're seeing. Damn, that's a good one. I mean, my initial reaction when you asked that was back to the point we were just making, which is spend a little bit of time determining what your offering is. You said your niche earlier. I'm going to go a little bit past that and just say, well, how do you how do you win service and retain that niche? Spend a little bit of time figuring out what your offering is, what your elevator pitch might be, how you're going to service the client, what tools are you going to engage? Because in the long run, it's going to make you far more effective. It's going to lead to a cohesive client experience and in all likelihood lead to some referrals because you are doing a good job. That was my my initial response. And then as soon as I thought about that, my next reaction was freaking care. Like don't in the 401k space, too many people are doing it as a byproduct of the relationship. Like I golf with this person or I go to church with that person. You need to care about this client. You need to care about their employees. You need to really do what is right for them. 
don't just sell the plan and depend upon the record keeper to take care of everything or the TPA to take care of everything. Get out there, see the client in year two, see the client in year three, coordinate an education meeting, help one-on-one, find a way to make that profitable even better, but, but give a shit. Go spend some time caring about it. They really care about the private wealth. They spend time in the market. Many of them, I ask, hey, you want to go get lunch? Or I can't go get lunch till the market closes. Okay, fair enough. That's your model. Have you thought about spending any any amount of time on your 401k clients and how you're servicing them? Because spending time paying attention to the market usually is not it. You're not day trading their 401k plans. You're not even making investment changes every quarter. So I guess my second reaction was care. Just care. Yeah, so if I could summarize what you just said, I think one, it is get really clear around your core purpose and what you believe, and then spend some time working yeah, on your absolutely. business, not just in your business. So, yeah, well, Chad, this you. has been a blast. Love you, brother. I'm, uh, glad we could finally make this happen. I think you brought some, just as I expected, and knew that you brought just some really intelligent insights um, and just have a ton of respect for you and for the whole team and what you guys are doing. And this has been a ton of fun. we got to do it again at some point. And uh, uh, where can everybody catch up with you? I'll make sure to put it in the so- show notes, but what's the best way? Yeah, best way is, is via email or phone. You. I mean, reach out to me. I'm. That's one thing that I think gets uh, misconstrued often. They think that Retireholics takes up so much time that we're not in the day business, which is the TPA side of this. Truth is, about 98% of my time is on the day business. JD, the production team, they all handle the retireholics. We show up, we, we uh, spend time thinking about the topics and learning, uh, but all of that leads to value on the day business. So all, all of my time and effort is spent on plan design consultants, the efforts that we're trying to create a better industry there. Um, so yeah, and you can follow us on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn. You can find retireholics on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, we push out stuff every day, pretty much just trying to, to help people stay more in touch with the 401k space. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing all that you're all doing. All right, brother. Get back to work. I've got, got, got a finals in 12 get minutes. Get back to work. So. You got, uh... All right, man. You all take right. care, Josh. Thank you. Sounds good, bro. See you, man. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Chad Johansson from Plan Design Consultants. If you're a retirement plan advisor that wants to visualize and gamify your consulting process for prospects and clients and haven't checked out Fiduciary RX yet, head over to www.fiduciaryworks.com and book a demo. You'll be glad you did. Also, if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Finally, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You Podcast.